How's everybody doing? Good to see you. I don't want to ruin anything. Before the service, I checked. The Falcons are up. I don't know if you're TiVoing or what, but um, uh, we had to fly them across the ocean to get things working again, but that's okay. The, um, hey, this morning we're going to be in, a, in the Bible, oddly enough, but what I'm trying to say is uh, we're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture together. And so I would challenge you this morning, if you've got um, your iPad or your iPhone or whatever you've got, something else that another company makes that's not as good, if you would take it and... Um, you can download our app today, really and truly. And of course, there's no cost to that. But on our app, every week, you'll have all of our scriptures and questions for small group this week. Our, our small group had a lot of great discussion this last week. I hope your small group did. Uh, Pastor Brian covered about a year and a half of seminary in 35 minutes last week. And, uh, and so just not to be outdone, I've got more verses than he does today. And so uh, take a moment and download those. Don't get distracted by Facebook. Don't do it, okay? Open up, go to Version or go to the Westridge app. Speaking of Facebook... Um, there are a lot of babies born this week. Have you noticed that? Little Isla Flockhart is here. Stevie and Whitney have had their, uh, their little girl is here. And um, I'm not sure when Snowmageddon hit, but I think it was about nine months ago. The, um, just if you look at Facebook, there's a lot of new life going around. So uh, <laughs> hope, you, hope you put your kids in Kid Quest today. Mama, what's that man talking about? Talking about snow, honey. That's all. Remember the snow? That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should start talking about something else. So, the um, <laughs> speaking of which, today, as we're continuing in this series, the beginning of the end, later on in my talk today, we are actually going to look at the last verse, uh, some of the, the last page of the Bible. We're actually going to look at the end today. But today, I want us to take a look at heaven and hell, two real places. And, and there's a lot of confusion about this and whether or not these are real or figurative or, or what's talked about here. And there's so many different words used. And we're going to look at all of that today. And I want to just start off by saying, you know, one of the things that I have always been fascinated with, and I'm not really sure why this is, but I've always been fascinated with some of the last words that people are recorded as saying, whether or not they were actually caught in that last moment and able to share some very last words or whether it's just the last thing something, somebody remembers. I mean, I've had some very pointed moments in pastoring over the last 17 years where I've actually been in the room now several times where someone breathes their last breath and maybe had an opportunity to say their, their last words right before then. And, and there's oftentimes in those moments, and even reading and studying through history, you'll find people that get like these moments of incredible clarity right there when they're able to share. But for, for the most of us, we're, we're not going to have any idea what our last words are going to be. We're not going to have the opportunity to, to time those things. And so my, one of the questions I want to ask today and one of the things I want to challenge you with is that whenever people think about you, what will be some of the things they remember you saying? And when people think about your life, your reputation, I mean, some of you have you know, these little sayings and quippy things that you repeat all the time that your family's going to love to look back and remember with with fondness. Some of you, um, you know, all all kinds of different things, things have been handed down to you, whatever it is. But what are the things that people are going to remember you saying? There's just, there's a lot of these in history. I pulled just three very, very random ones this, this morning. Uh, I don't know how many of you remember I Love Lucy or whether or not you love Lucy or not, but I don't know if you remember that, but Desi Arnaz was on the phone with Lucille Ball and his last words to her from the phone call that he gave to her, the last phone call was, I love you too, honey. Good luck with your show. 
Uh, President Eisenhower, his last words are said to have been, I've always loved my wife, my children, my grandchildren. I've always loved my country. I want to go. God, take me. In the last few moments of his life, Bob Hope was asked by his wife, where would you like to be buried? And one of the very last things he said to her was, surprise me. Books on near-death experiences sell at an incredible rate. Don Piper's 90 Minutes in Heaven sat on the New York Times bestseller list for over four years. Little Colton Burpo, who claims to have been taken to heaven during a near-death experience while having his appendix removed, has now made his dad a a best-selling author and a major motion picture. I don't know if your story, if your family has any stories that are passed down. There's a story of one of my great-grandfathers who was actually laying in a hospital bed, and, and he had died on the table. And the family gathered around to, to pray for him, to pray over him. And in those moments of prayer, the doctors actually came in and, and resuscitated him. And when he was fully awake, he described that while he had been gone, that he was actually walking down a path. And on each side of this path, there were small hillsides and there were people standing on the hillsides and they were cheering him on and they were welcoming him into this place. And as the story goes in my family, my great grandfather was actually extremely agitated for a few months that the family had prayed him back. <laughs> I've shared before, and I don't know if you've heard me share this or not, but the last day of my grandfather's death, my grandmother spent that day with her husband He went to be with the Lord just a few years ago, and he spent the last 10 years of his life with dementia, and at the end, he was diagnosed with vascular dementia, just one step short of Alzheimer's, and truly, the only person that he could really remember was was my grandmother, and he led music in churches for over 40 years, a minister of music in Baptist churches, and he had forgotten just about everything else, but on that last day, he remembered the tune and every lyric to every song they played for him that day, and he sang along. And as nightfall came, he began to kind of look up around the room and he actually reached his hand up as if he was grabbing on to the hand of someone else who was up above him. And he reached over for my grandmother's hand and he said, I want her to come too. She very carefully laid his hand back on his chest (laughs) and she said, I'll be along soon. I'll be coming shortly. And it was just a a couple hours left, a couple hours later that she was called and told that he had slept peacefully after that moment and that he had breathed his last breath. I've talked with many families over the years who have stories of these, these little moments that we can't explain, but as we've tried to do throughout this entire series, we we want, to open the, we want to answer the questions that we have by opening our Bible. And so today we're trying to answer a question in this series, the beginning and the end. What happens when you die? Or maybe some other questions like, is heaven for real? And what about this other place called hell? Is it real or is it figurative? And how does knowing more about any of this stuff help me today with my life? So let's get to it. I want to invite you, if you would, to open your app or turn your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 16. Jesus is telling a parable. He's telling a story here. And he depicts two people who die and end up in two very distinct places. A a poor man is taken to what Jesus refers to as Abraham's side. And a rich man is taken to Hades. And in Luke chapter 16, verse 24, it says, The rich man called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. 
But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all of this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who had passed from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. So what does the Bible teach about heaven and hell? What did Jesus teach about heaven and hell and how are we to to understand them? And the first thing, not just from this parable, but from some other teachings that we're going to jump into that Jesus gave us, they are real destinations. They're real destinations. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. The word Hades in the Bible occurs 11 times. It's a Greek word. It occurs in the New Testament. And it's the direct Greek equivalent of a Hebrew word, uh, Sheol, from the Old Testament. So the word, the Hebrew word Sheol is found 65 times in the Bible. And it's translated in one of three different ways as either the pit or the grave or hell. There's a different Hebrew word that actually means Grave. It's never translated as hell or underworld or anything like that. So sometimes as you're reading the Bible, it can make things a little bit difficult to understand. Are we talking about the grave right now or are we talking about Sheol right now? And why can't they just use a different word and clarify it all? Well, you have to understand that it wasn't until about 700 years after the time of Christ that we actually even get the word hell and have it come on the scene and included in translation later on. So the way to understand this is that these are not all different destinations in different places, but rather the Bible uses one word to describe Sheol, Hades, the pit, grave, under the world, and then the the grave is a place where our physical bodies go, and Sheol is a place where our souls go after we die. Jesus does some direct teaching on this place called Sheol in Matthew chapter 8. He is marveling at the faith of a Roman centurion who's come to him and And he does some direct teaching, not a parable, about heaven and hell. And he says this, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith, talking about this Roman man. He says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Another direct teaching in Mark chapter 9, Jesus says, If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So from his direct teaching and from his parables, we can learn some different things about this place, this real place that we know as hell. Both Jesus' parable and his direct teaching describe hell as a place of fire. In Jesus' parable, he uses the word Anguish, And in Matthew chapter 8, he uses the phrase weeping and gnashing of teeth. All of those are, are the same idea. We see fire in both the parable and teaching. We see anguish in both the parable and teaching. In his parable, Jesus says that there is a gulf that has been fixed that, that cannot be crossed. In other words, once you find yourself in this place, there is, there is no way out of there. And the book of Job says that Sheol is a place with no possibility of return. One of the things that perhaps you've heard a lot of different times is that hell is a place of darkness. And is that, is that said in the Bible? And if so, where? Was, it's actually never said that it is dark there, but it is called a place of outer darkness. Another place in the New Testament speaks of angels who were thrown out of heaven in Lucifer's rebellion and that those angels now have 
chains of darkness on them, so no possibility of getting those off. Darkness often refers to people living apart from God. And in hell, that darkness never leaves. Once you find yourself in this place of gloom and abandonment, there is no hope for a turnaround. And perhaps that is the greatest punishment of all. Now understand this. I've been in countless church services in my life where the pastor's primary goal was to scare the sheol out of me. I mean, just as much as he could. And so my desire is not to do that this morning, but it is to communicate to you that according to the scripture, that this is a very real place of torment and judgment. But here's what I want everybody to hear loud and clear this morning. It's not what God wants for any of us. This destination is not what he wants for anybody on the planet. In fact, in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says this, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting for anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. He's patient with us. He gives us opportunity after opportunity. And as we've looked during this series at the beginning and the end, we've seen creation, we've seen the fall of man, we've seen what happened with Cain and Abel, we've seen what happened with Noah's ark, and we've seen the end, as Pastor Brian talked about last week, he talked about this period of tribulation, and in all of this, the correct way to look at all of this is to say time after time after time, God comes back to his people and says, please, I'm not willing for any of you to perish, I'm continuing to extend my mercy and my grace to you. But here's a question that people ask. How could a loving God allow people to go to hell? In fact, the question is asked often very differently, much more pointedly. How could a loving God send people to hell? And as a result of that question, it's, been, it's become very popular to nullify hell. It's become very popular to say that ultimately all the face of the world are linked and, and on the same path. But Jesus says there is a there's a broad path there that leads to destruction. Having that kind of philosophy, just kind of resting, trying to rest in that false thought leads you to a place you do not want to go. Jesus said in Matthew 7, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. It would be so much easier to stand up and teach and to nullify this place. Those that enter that place of destruction are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it, few. To deny the existence of hell truly is to cheapen the sacrifice of Jesus. And I don't want to do that for a moment. To deny the existence of hell is to cheapen all the suffering and all that Jesus took upon him. And just like we sung just a moment ago, the wrath of God the Father was put on him, on Jesus on the cross. All of the sins of the world were thrown upon him so that none of us would have to perish. Listen, in answer to that question from a moment ago, hell was not created for people that God didn't love because those people do not exist. Love has paid the bill through the suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross. And, G- and God does not want to force anyone today to believe in that. But he desires for every single one of us or anyone who wishes to come and put their faith and trust 
and him. If he forced everyone to believe it, if he nullified all the alternatives, he would just be a tyrant. And loving him the way we're able to love and worship him today would not be possible. Jesus said there's a way that leads to destruction, but there's also a way that leads to life. There's a path that leads to life. So let's talk about the alternative. In Jesus' parable in Luke 16, the men in that parable are carried into one of two places. And this place that Jesus calls in the parable Abraham's side, I just want to refer to as, as heaven for the rest of my talk and understand that heaven is a place where, where God is. Heaven as a term in the Bible is known as the place wherever God is ruling and has his way. But beyond this, the people who wrote down the God-breathed words of Scripture said things like this about heaven. 1 Corinthians 2, the Apostle Paul says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, no one can even begin to understand or explain what God has prepared for those who love him. Even in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to this place. In Nehemiah chapter 9, Nehemiah said, You are the Lord, you alone, you have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them and you preserve all of them and the host of heaven worships you. You know, to be honest in the Bible, the place that we refer to as heaven very commonly is a, is a place that the Bible doesn't give a whole lot of detail about by way of physical description. Most of the descriptions for the place that gets all the pictures and all the artwork and all the pearly gates and the streets of gold and all that kind of stuff. Most of that is talking about a new heaven and a new earth that God is going to create someday and that Pastor Brian's gonna be talking about next week. So that's your teaser for next week. You wanna be here for that. You wanna hear how this series ends because it's absolutely incredible. So come and bring 17 people with you. It's gonna be great. But what do we know about this real destination that Jesus is talking about? For those who have put their faith and trust in the will and salvation of God today. In 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. From the moment those who have died with Christ as their Savior pass from this life into the next, they become a part of a present reality. Now understand this. I know from our partnership class here that we call Discovery, I know that Majority of people coming to our church from somewhere else today, a vast majority of you are former Catholics. So I want to help you Catholics for just a moment, okay? There is no other in between in the Bible. Rather, it is, there are two clear paths and two clear destinations. And to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord in a place that the Bible treats uniquely as God's home. And though God is everywhere at all times, heaven is spoken of as the unique place of his residence. And what's going on there? What else happens there? Well, it's the place where angels reside. When they're taking a break from watching after all of us, it's the place where angels reside. And there are angels who are there, who their designated thing to do is to just worship God all the time, 24-7, so that he has nothing but worship around his holy throne. Something else about this place, the Apostle Paul said he expected to see some people from some of his church plants there. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. In 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul says, In that place I shall know just as I 
also am known. Heaven is the place where all those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ reside. That means you can expect to be reunited with those that you have lost, with those who have put their faith and trust in Christ and that God has already come home. You called home, you can expect to be reunited with them. And I gotta tell you, as I was thinking about this and and typing it out and even reading over it and praying over it, when I get to this part, I tell you, my heart just swells because I ache for this. I ache for this place. I don't know who you've lost. I don't know who has gone before you. I don't know who you are concerned about today and being sure that they are in that place, but I can tell you there is coming a day where we will be reunited with those that we love who had their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm gonna see my grandfather again, I can't wait. I'm gonna see Andrew pray again, I cannot wait. I'm gonna see Jared Hicks again. We lost just a a couple weeks ago in a car accident, 28 year old young man in our church. I cannot wait to be reunited with so many people I've presided over their funerals and ministered to their families over the last 17 years. I cannot wait to see them and to watch the reunions happen. It's going to be a glorious, incredible day. But most important of all, I can't wait to see Jesus. Because heaven, what the Bible says, the Bible says heaven is where Jesus is. Hebrews chapter nine tells us, for Christ has entered, not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God, pleading on our behalf. John chapter 14, Jesus himself let us know where he was going. The disciples were concerned about this, and Jesus said, fellas, let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. Play football there. (laughs) You haven't heard that song? It's okay. Don't worry about it. He says, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go, Jesus says, and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I'm going, guys. And then two verses later, he said, just in case you weren't sure, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to this destination where the Father is. No one gets on this path and finishes this path well except through me. Jesus said, put your faith and trust in me. And the destination is clear. And I'm going to go get it ready for you. My wife is a great decorator. I love the spaces that she creates where we've had the opportunity to live over the years. But can I tell you something? I have an idea. Jesus may be able to one-up her. It's gonna be a fun competition to see. But Jesus, honestly, he has gone ahead to get your room ready, to get your place ready. And some of you, there are people who have gone before you that you miss, that your heart aches for even now. You understand what I'm saying when I say my heart swells. Those people have gone before you. Why? Because they're going alongside of Jesus and saying, no, 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 no. They are not Yellow Jacket fans. They're Bulldog fans. We gotta hang this pleasant stuff in the right place. Listen, the Alabama people, that stuff's not here. All right, okay, we'll, we'll decorate. Just, just put something else on the wall. That'll be fine. But we gotta get this place ready for them. And Jesus said, listen, 
I'm going to prepare a place and this place is gonna be like, unlike anything you could ever ask or imagine. And he can get it ready in a hurry. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, I don't know if you remember the story, there were two guys on either side of Jesus and one of them said, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said, I'll, I'll go one better than that. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Today, this place paradise, another word that the Bible uses to talk about this place called heaven, the place before God once again recreates it all at the end of time. Before we talk about that even next week, there is a place where Jesus is, where angels reside, where the presence of God is, where he's being worshiped around the clock, this place called paradise. The apostle Paul talked about it. I love this. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. I love this passage because it's like the apostle Paul says, hey, have you read the book Heaven is for Real? I don't, I don't know if any of that's true or not. But he says, I've heard stories. There are glimpses. There are little things that God has let us know about. And I don't know exactly what's going to be there. But I know this is the place where those who've gone to sleep in Jesus are. And I know it's where Jesus is. And I know it's the place where I want to be. A place of comfort and peace. A place where, according to the Bible, time doesn't seem to matter and won't be kept again until our bodies are resurrected. All of this, this place that God has prepared is even just a a place that's really the Bible talks about it as as temporary because God is going to once again at the end of time he is going to create something even more amazing that we can't even begin to understand but even in this understand this that it is a real place it's a real destination it's a real place for the soul of men and women and children who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to go. And one day God will put the rest of the plan in motion. One author says it this way. He says, one day the software of our souls that have been in heaven will be downloaded into new hardware, new bodies, glorified bodies that will never grow sick or weary or decay. And we will live with God in a new heaven and a new earth. So the question today as it applies to these two destinations is what path are you on? What path are you on? Jesus said there's a a path that leads to destruction and there's a path that leads to life. King David even referred to this path in Psalm chapter 16. In verse 9 he said that his heart was glad and rejoicing and secure. And in verse 10, he picks it up and he says, for you, God will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life and your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. There is a path to eternal separation from God and there is a path to eternal life. Path to real places. This gets illustrated again in the New Testament. In a very real circumstance, one of Jesus' closest friends, a man named Lazarus, different from the parable Lazarus, but a real man became sick and died before Jesus could get to him. Actually, the whole story, Jesus waited a couple days to kind of make a point here. 
But when he got to where Lazarus was living and where he had died, when he got to that town, Lazarus' sister, Martha, runs up to Jesus and in typical Martha fashion says, where have you been? Says, if you had been here, none of this would have happened. And Jesus says to her in John eleven twenty three, 23, he says, your brother will rise again. And as if Martha says, I know the Bible. <laughs> I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, no, 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 I got something better than that. He says, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Martha, do you believe this? Jesus said there is a place immediately after this life. It's more than just my future kingdom. It's more than the new heaven and the new earth. It's something to look forward to even now. And just to prove it, he raised Lazarus from the dead just to show Martha he knew what he was talking about. But in his teachings overall, Jesus did even one better than that. He said things like the kingdom of heaven is near. It's at hand. It's on top of you. He says it's like a seed inside of you. And if you will water and feed it, it will grow in and through and all over you. I didn't just come to give you life later, Jesus says. I have come to give you an abundant life to the full right now. A life of joy and worship and victory and answered prayer and miracles and relationship with me. And you get to help start the process of putting this whole world back together. And if you can endure just a little while, persevere just a little while, suffer just a little while, when that day comes, you will find it was more worth it than you could ever ask or imagine. When Jesus teaches about all this, when he teaches about death, he teaches it as if it is just around the corner, imminent. He wants us to have this feeling of intensity, that he's given us a responsibility to start living out the kingdom of heaven now, to put God on display now in such a way that others will want to join us. So I want to ask you a question again. Whenever people think about you, what will be some of the things they remember you saying? You have no idea when it will be. But when it comes to your last days, when it comes to your last breaths, your last moments, what will be some of the things that they remember you saying? I've had the privilege of talking with Courtney Prey and having her share with me the last things that Andrew said to her. And I'm not going to share those with you now because that's for Courtney to do, whether in song or book or teaching, whatever she decides to do one day. But I got to tell you, my friend Andrew, he ended life right. He said his last words to her were things that would and will carry her the rest of her life. I got to tell you, it challenges me. And husbands, men, I want to challenge you. What are the things your kids, what are the things your wife are going to remember you saying? I think about Andrew's last moments. There's a, a document, a, a Google Doc that he had edited the morning of his death and it has a timestamp of that morning, November 21st, 2012. And it's a shared doc between he and I and I just, I can't change it. I can't do it. It's got some info and, and some things in there that I'd love to go in and edit and kind of gather and, and, and use in and, and the way we would use it before. And, 
can't do it. Those last moments, that lasting legacy are, are so precious. And we don't get to choose when that's going to be. I think about Jared Hicks. He died a couple weeks ago. And I was speaking here a couple weeks ago and I had some things I wanted to say about Jared in that service. Honestly, I would not have been able to get through it. Jared, tremendous guy. We did the funeral here. We have more than 900 people here. Martial arts instructor in the community. He served at Westridge in KidQuest. He was one of our storytellers. He was one of our small group leaders. And my son, Will, who's in middle school now, when he was finishing out the summer last year in KidQuest, he remembers one of his very last small group times, if not the last small group time that he spent with Jared. Jared said to those boys something along the lines of, you need to live for Jesus every single day with everything that you've got because time is going to be short. And two weeks ago, 28-year-old Jared went into the presence of Jesus. One more parable. Matthew chapter 22. Jesus again spoke to them in parables and he says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready, so come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off one to his farm and another to his business. Imagine this happening with a wedding, how insulted you would be. Jesus tells a story with extreme circumstances here and it's about to get worse. The rest of the people who did not go to their farm or to their businesses, they seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. In verse seven, Jesus says the king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And then he says to his servants, the wedding feast is ready. But those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. In another telling of this story in Luke chapter 14, Jesus said it this way. He said, the master said to his servant, go to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. Long before Peter wrote it down in 2 Peter chapter 3, Jesus says, I am not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. So I need all of you who put your faith and trust in me. I need you to go out and I need you to get everybody you can. I need you to go out to the roads. I need you to go out to the highways. I need you to go to your schools, your businesses, to your neighborhoods. And I need you to invite them to come into this feast, invite them into this real destination, invite them into this real place because time is so short. Charles Spurgeon said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. What were some of the last words of Jesus on this earth? What did he want to be remembered saying? Well, before he ascended into heaven in Acts chapter one, he says to all those who were standing around him that day, he says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem 
and in all Judea and to the ends of the earth. You say, I don't know what to say. I don't know all the answers. This series has created so many questions. I'm, I'm reading and studying my Bible in ways I've never had before. And here's the deal. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to know all the details. All you need to know is that there is a real God in heaven who sent his real son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you. And if you've accepted and received that, you need to go tell as many people as you can. And the son of God himself has given you his Holy Spirit and you will have power. You will be able to, to do things in those days and say things in those moments that you never thought you were capable of because it's not you, it's the spirit of God in you. And Jesus said, take that with you and wherever you go, share my message, share my story, share the good news of the gospel everywhere you go. And then the last page of the Bible, the beginning, now the end. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17 says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And before I read the rest of it, I want to point something out. Spirit, we know who that is, the spirit of God. Who's the bride? It's us. It's the church. In the last page of the Bible, Jesus says, let me give you your message. It's come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes, who desires, take the water of life without cost. Every Sunday for 17 plus years, we've stood in this place and we've said, come. And we've seen God do some amazing things. Since we began this series, we've seen more than 150 people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So we will continue to say, come. But can I tell you the real power of the bride of Christ, the real potential of the bride of Christ, is that the 4,000 of you that will gather on this campus today, if you will go out to the hillsides, if you will go out to the schools, to your neighborhoods, if you will go out and if you will seek opportunities to spread this message, the story of God can continue in astronomical ways. It's, the, it's why we say go out and live on mission. Go out and bless others because the potential of all of us together going out is absolutely huge and we're fulfilling the message and the call that God gave us at the very, very end. As you go, make disciples. As you go, Tell them about me. As you go, say to them, come. Anyone who wishes may come. No one is too far gone. No one has too much sin. No one has, has, until you have died and gone into that place, there is still an opportunity for every single person we come in contact with to come. May they continue to come. May we be a part of their stories. Let's pray together today. This is such an important message to again share in this moment. With more than 150 doing that so far in this series, putting their faith and trust in Christ, we want to give the opportunity again, even now. If you're here in this place today and continue to listen, the Spirit of God continues to draw you, continues to work on your heart. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to have it all figured out. All that you have to do 
is to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe on the one who called himself the resurrection and the life and you will never taste death in the way that those apart from him will. If you would pray right now, God, I put my faith and trust in this message of your son who was killed for me on that cross. I put my faith and trust in this message that he was killed for me to remove my sins, to remove them and to take me off of the path to destruction and put me on the path to life. I put my faith and trust in that today and I put my faith and trust that he is resurrected today so that one day I might have eternal life, a life that truly begins right now inside of me. If you pray today to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in your own words, in the earnestness of your own heart, because you wish in yourself to come to Christ, would you take just a moment, would you please fill out the card that we handed you when we came in? We want to take an opportunity as a church. It's most, one of the most important things we do is coming alongside new believers. We want to come alongside of you and help you get started right in this abundant life journey. For the rest of us in the room today, whenever people think about you, will they remember that you proclaim the message of Jesus? Will they remember that there was a strong evidence of Jesus in your life? And if you're here today and you've got someone on your mind, on your heart, even now, you would say they need to come. And would you pray for them and pray and ask God to give you an opportunity to be a part of their story? God, today, we thank you for creating for us a real place, for giving us real hope. God, we long for that place. God, may we walk this life path every single day and bring others alongside of us. And we'll give you all the thanks and praise for using us in any way that you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen.